This is The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, The Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. Good morning. A lot of campaigns going on in Michigan right now from top to bottom, but the most anticipated political event in Michigan, and for that matter nationally, is the upcoming announcement this coming Monday at 9 o'clock when President Donald Trump says he is going to announce his nomination for the person to replace the retiring Anthony Kennedy from the U.S. Supreme Court. And three people from the state of Michigan are on his list, his overall list, his list of 25 people that he put out back in 2016 that he said he would choose from among when he decides how to replace any vacancy that might occur on the U.S. Supreme Court. He's already gone to that list once. And he nominated Neil Gorsuch a year and a half ago. He was confirmed. He's on the court now. But now the second vacancy has occurred that Donald Trump has to fill. This is Anthony Kennedy's vacancy. And it's fair to say that 25 is a little bit too long a list for anybody to really get their arms around. And so the list, I think, has gotten shorter and shorter. And the consensus, I think, among everybody and even the president has hinted at this, is it's down to about three people. But let's get back to the three people from Michigan that were on the list. They were Robert Young, Bob Young, uh, former chief justice of the Michigan Supreme Court, who is now the legal counsel uh, to interim president John Engler at Michigan State University. Uh, and he's 67 years old. Uh, he's too old, I think, to be considered uh, for an appointment to the court because Donald Trump has said he wants somebody younger, somebody who might serve on the court for as long as 40 or 45 years. Maybe that's a little too long. So I think you have to look at the other two people from Michigan on the list who are 49 years old and 51 years old, respectively, and that is Joan Larson and Raymond Kethledge. Now, who are they? Joan Larson served on the Michigan Supreme Court for about two years, appointed by Rick Snyder about three years ago to fill a vacancy on the state Supreme Court. She barely got her seat warm when President Trump nominated her for the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals in the federal judiciary, and she was confirmed uh, last year, and she's on the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. Also on the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals is Raymond Kethledge, Raymond Kethledge has been on the Sixth Circuit for about a decade now. 2008, he finally took his seat after having been nominated two years earlier by then-President George W. Bush. Uh, his initial appointment was obstructed by the two U.S. senators from Michigan at that time, Debbie Stabenow, who's still a senator and is running for re-election this year, and Carl Levin, who has since retired. Um so Kethledge withdrew his nomination, and then two years later, there was a deal made between President Bush and the Senate Democrats um, on three judicial appointments. Two of them were Republicans, 
one of them a Democrat, Helene White. The deal was made. Kethledge was one of the two Republicans. He went on the Sixth Circuit. Helene White, who had originally been nominated, believe it or not, back in the 1990s by President Bill Clinton, she was confirmed. She's on the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, too. So Kethledge is on the Sixth Circuit. Joan Larson is on the Sixth Circuit. And uh, the question is, uh, do either of them really have a chance to be nominated by President Trump on Monday night? Yes, they do. Kethledge is actually considered to have maybe a slightly better chance to be nominated than Joan Larson, maybe because he just has a better track record uh, in terms of being a conservative judge on the Sixth Circuit, where he's rendered opinions that people can look at and determine, you know, what kind of a judge is this really? Whereas Joan Larson really doesn't have that much judicial experience. Uh, So I think the two favorites really are either Brett Kavanaugh uh, or Amy Barrett. Um, Kethledge is probably in third place among those three. We'll see. And Amy Barrett might be an inspired choice because Amy Barrett um, teaches at North, excuse me, at Notre Dame Law School. She's from Indiana, and that is the state uh, where the U.S. Senator up for re-election this year, Joe Donnelly, a Democrat who won basically on a fluke in 2012 and is considered one of the most vulnerable Democrats this year running for re-election, a seat that the Republicans would dearly like to win back, is running for re-election, does he want to vote against confirming a judge from his home state who is Roman Catholic? Uh, Amy Barrett is a mother of seven, including two adopted Haitian children. She's a Roman Catholic. She would be suspect, is suspect among Democrats because they're worried what her attitude is toward abortion and whether, in fact, she might be privy to some future decision that would roll back Roe v. Wade, uh, the landmark U.S. Supreme Court ruling way back in the early 1970s, uh, granting abortion rights basically throughout the land. Uh, So Amy Barrett would be a very difficult person for Joe Donnelly to vote against, and if he votes to confirm, that would give the Republicans who have a very narrow 51 to 49 advantage in the U S Senate, an additional vote, and it might counterbalance, uh, one or two Republican senators who might defect on such a vote, uh, like Susan Collins of Maine or Lisa Murkowski of Alaska. So it's getting to be a, a very interesting prospect on Monday night as to what the president is going to announce and how that's going to play out. Uh, at this point, uh, we have to say that that is kind of dominating Michigan political speculation right now, even though we've got a whole bunch of other things before us, uh, coming up between now and August 7th. And I've talked earlier about ballot proposals that may be on the ballot in the November 6th general election. You know, that hasn't changed. Uh, from what I said a week ago or two weeks ago, right now, there is only one proposal that is going to be on the ballot for sure in November. And that's whether Michigan legalizes recreational marijuana. That's the only one, but there are as many as four other proposals that might be on the ballot, depending what happens in the state Supreme court, 
where one of the proposals is being challenged, uh, what happens with the Board of State canvassers, uh, where uh, petitions have either been submitted, waiting to be certified, or will be uh, submitted soon uh, for consideration by the Board of State canvassers. And they are like the voters, not politicians ballot proposal, which would take redistricting away from the legislature and give it to an independent commission. There's also a minimum wage proposal, uh, and there is a paid sick time proposal. And there's a proposal where the petitions I don't believe have been submitted yet called boost the vote, which would basically liberalize our voting process in Michigan. It would mandate straight ticket voting. There could be same day voting. There could be uh, advanced voting. There could be no reason absentee voting. Uh, all of that is a possibility uh, if this particular proposal is certified by the Board of State canvassers. So there could be two proposals on the ballot in November. There could be three. There could be four. There could be five. Uh, right now, for sure, we only have one. And I don't think we're going to know until the end of this month, maybe into August, whether there are going to be any more than the one. Uh, we'll have to see how that all plays out. And otherwise, I'd say we've got a very exciting August 7th primary election coming up, obviously for governor uh, and on the way down the ballot. We're going to be talking to a pollster, one of Michigan's most prominent pollsters in just a couple of minutes, Steve Mitchell, and he's going to give us his insight into what's going on what's likely to happen both in the primary and the November general election. I'll be back. You're listening to the political insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We're back. And we've got a special guest with us, one of Michigan's top political pollsters for several decades, Steve Mitchell, president of Mitchell Research and Communications. In fact, Steve, welcome to the show. It's always a great pleasure to be with you, Bill. And I want to ask you, when did you actually start Mitchell Research and Communications? Was it longer than two or three decades? Well, no, it's about 30 years. About 30 years. Well, that's yep. pretty darn good. That's a good run. Uh, have you seen anything in the polls this year, analysis of the polls by other firms or in your own polling that would differ substantially from what public sentiment probably is out there. Let's say in the governor's race, Bill Schuette has been ahead supposedly by a substantial margin for a while on the Republican side. Now, most recently, you're seeing supposedly Gretchen Whitmer has opened up a lead on the Democratic side. Uh, then you've got the U.S. Senate race. There's nothing there on the Democratic side because Debbie Stabenow is unopposed. But on the Republican side, you've got John James, Sandy Penzler. What about those races? Just, uh, Go ahead and tell us what you think. Well, I mean, look, first of all, at the uh, Republican side in the governor's race. Bill Schuette and Brian Kelly have been battling each other now since uh, really the day after Rick Snyder became governor. Both of them wanted to be governor. They've been running ever since. But as we get closer to the campaign now, um, our polling has consistently 
shown Bill Schuette with a lead. Uh, sometimes the lead is, is a bigger lead, sometimes a smaller lead, but Schuette has consistently had the lead throughout this process. And of course, uh, as everybody's talked about, the fact that Schuette has the endorsement of Donald Trump is, uh, is very difficult for Brian Kelly to counter. Um, she, right now, the, the president has a 90% job approval. That is 90% of the Republican primary voters. In fact, 90% of Republican voters uh, in general in the general election have a uh, job approval, uh, approval of the job that uh, that uh, Donald Trump is doing. Therefore, that that endorsement means a great deal. Uh, Callie has the endorsement of Governor Schneider, and Governor Schneider is very popular. Uh, 80% of the voters uh, uh, to 85% of the voters statewide uh, approve of the job that he's doing. Unfortunately, uh, with Trump, you've got uh, maybe uh, uh, 75 to 80% of the voters who approve, strongly approve, and just 10 or 15% somewhat approve. With the governor, only 40% strongly approve, while another 40% somewhat approve. Now, I say only, uh, that's a big number uh, to have that kind of a job approval uh, that Governor Snyder has, and it's a reflection on the great job that he's done. But at this point, uh, I still see Schuette, uh, especially with the Trump endorsement, uh, staying in the lead. And Callie is trying to use some charges that uh, are being brought that a judge turned over to investigatory uh, organizations, uh, showing that there's a negative on Bill Schuette, and we'll see how that plays out. Uh, on the Democratic side... Before we, before we go to the Democrats, yeah, let, me, well, let me just ask you this. When you say the polls have shown Schuette sometimes with a big lead, sometimes smaller lead, what, what is that lead, uh, you know, statistically? What is it about? Yeah, right now I suspect uh, Bill's up by by uh, at least 20 points. Okay. Um, All right. Well, let's go to the Democrat. On the Democratic side, Whitmer is up by 20 points, and that would be consistent. Uh, uh, Shri Tanadar uh, is a unique candidate. He spent an enormous amount of money, and as a result of that, uh, pulled ahead of Whitmer. But now that Whitmer is on the air and doing her own advertising, uh, she's starting to pick up in the polling. She is endorsed by all the major endorsements endorsing groups, uh, all the major unions, all the major former elected officials uh, and current elected officials like uh, Mike Duggan. So Gretchen Whitmer really is the uh, uh, is the establishment Democrat candidate. And then you've got Abdul El Sayed, um, uh, who is a very popular guy, would be the first Muslim American uh, governor in Michigan history if he were to win the primary in the general election. The problem uh, for both Tanadar and El Sayed are each other. Uh, they both cut into their support. Both uh, Tanadar and and Syed are running as uh, the Bernie Sanders progressives. Uh, uh, they used to be called liberals, but that term uh, has become so unpopular they call themselves progressives now. So the progressive wing of the party, the Bernie Sanders wing, uh, has really gotten behind El Sayed. Um, even uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, the 28-year-old socialist who won in New York, is now supporting uh, El Sayed. But they cut into each other's vote. They're both going after the anti-establishment vote. In fact, I think combined their total may exceed that of Gretchen Whitmer, which demonstrates that had there been only one Bernie Sanders candidate, either Tanadar or El Sayed, uh, they perhaps could win. But as a now, uh, you've got one woman with two men. Ask, uh, ask uh, Jennifer Granholm how that works, because when she became governor in 2000 and uh, in, uh, two. in, in 2002, 2002. Uh, 
she ran in a primary against Jim Blanchard uh, and uh, former uh, former governor uh, Jim Blanchard and then uh, former uh, Congressman uh, Bonnier. So uh, the fact that uh, she had, uh, again, two men, one woman, the woman wins, that that's uh, often the case uh, in politics. So especially the Democratic Party, where the, where the Democratic uh, primary voters are about uh, 56% women, uh, as opposed to a Republican primary, where they're only uh, about 48% women. So a lot more women vote in the Democratic Party primary. Uh, Gretchen Whitmer is the establishment candidate, and uh, I think she's going to win by a pretty good margin. What do you think uh, in November? I know it's uh, too early to really speculate, but I mean, the Trump factor in November, can we be sure at all uh, how that's going to cut in terms of turnout in terms of energizing each party's base? Is there going to be more enthusiasm about supporting the Republican nominee because of their uh, support of Donald Trump? Or is there going to be more antipathy uh, toward Donald Trump by the Democrats uh, who dislike him strongly and that would motivate them to get out and support the Democratic nominee? Oh, in my mind, uh, every Democrat uh, under anywhere is going to be voting. They will walk (laughs) over glass. They will walk over fire. Uh, They will do whatever they can to vote. The Democrats are incredibly angry and actually dislike is probably too weak of a term uh, as to how they feel about uh, President Trump. Uh, They they just absolutely hate the president. Uh, They they are very regretful that he was able to win in 2016. Um, They intensely dislike his policies. They are going to vote. So the question then remains, if if we know the Democrats are going to vote in huge numbers for a midterm election, election. Uh, will the Republicans vote in kind uh, for Donald Trump? And that, I think, Bill, is the big factor. Um, if, if the Republicans cannot get out their vote, uh, then I think, uh, then I think uh, they've got some real problems, and we could see a blue wave, as we saw in 2006. You know, you go back to the three decades in which I've been doing this, and midterm elections have all been about the same as it relates to turnout. They've, it's gone up a little uh, every time. But in two 2006, that's the aberration where we had this huge increase in uh, in voters. As an example, uh, Dick DeVos ran for governor in 2006. In 2002, Dick Postumus ran. Dick Postumus lost by only three and a half points to Jennifer Granholm in 2002. In 2006, because of the turnout, uh, Dick DeVos, uh, who had 100,000 more votes than Dick Postumus, lost by 13%. So you have this huge Democratic turnout without any uh, Republican turnout. The Democrats turned out like it was a, uh, a presidential election year. This year is different, and I think it all depends on what Trump can do to get out his voters. Uh, quite frankly, Bill, I think one of the things Trump is going to do, has been planning since March, is he is going to shut down the government <laughs> in uh, in in September you, when the budget the continuation comes up. You think so? I will. We'll talk about it after a break, I bet. Okay. We're going to take a short break here, but we'll be back in just a few minutes. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We're back, and we've got a special guest, Steve Mitchell, president of Mitchell Research and Communications, one of Michigan's top pollsters. And Steve teased us a little bit here before the break, said he thought uh, President Trump was maybe going to 
pull uh, a fast one in September that might have some impact on the November general election. Steve, can you elaborate on that a little bit? I think that uh, I think the president uh, looked at the budget he got in in the March, said, "I'm not going to sign another one of these budgets because shutting down the government in May wasn't going to have any impact. It was too far away from the elections. Uh, his major issue and the issue." for which many of his voters uh, decided to cast a ballot in his favor, was immigration and building the wall. And so far, the Democrats have erected a wall preventing him from getting the money he needs to do what he needs to build that wall that he talked about in every single speech. And I don't know how the Mexicans are going to pay for it, but... Of course, as you know, the president continues to say that's exactly how it's going to get paid for. But regardless, he's got to get money out of the United States Congress. And I think what he's going to do is take a look at the uh, budget continuation uh, and say, nope, I am not going to sign this unless we uh, finally uh, take care of the immigration issue uh, and especially getting money to build a wall. And then he'll shut it down. And I can tell you that historically, in a battle, when the when the, when government shut down, the executive always wins. John Engler tried it in uh, in the period of time in which he was governor. He won. Uh, then Bill Clinton also won. Uh, Obama won on that issue. Uh, the executive wins if you shut down government, or if government shut down and the legislature and the state Congress doesn't. But I think that will fire up his base if that happens. And of course. It's only a prediction, but if that happens, that fires up the Democratic base and by fire or the Republican base, excuse me, and uh, it, by firing them up, he is hoping that he can get them out in the same numbers uh, as the uh, uh, as the Democrats are going to come up because the polling does show there's an enthusiasm gap of about ten percent. It's gotten a little bit narrow, but there's a ten percent enthusiasm gap between Democrats and Republicans. Democrats, of course. Uh, winning that advantage uh, because they really want to vote. But doesn't uh, shutting down the government depend to a great extent on how it's spun by the news media? And you know the news media is going to paint the Republican-controlled Congress as the bad guys and make it look like uh, Trump is in collusion with the Republicans in the Congress and they're all bad and it's terrible to shut down the government and shutting down the government is a bad thing. Well, look, <laughs> there is no doubt that the media is completely against Donald Trump. Ninety percent of the coverage uh, on uh, ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, MSNBC, The Washington Post, The New York Times, Time Magazine, uh, which is sort of irrelevant these days, all of these major news media outlets uh, the news that they print, 90% of it's negative, and yet the governor or the president still sitting there with, uh, you know, 43 to 44% uh, job approval. Um, you take a look at issues like abolish ICE, which uh, is not only coming from the progressives, but more mainstream uh, Democrats, and uh, that's opposed by 69% of the voters. So this is a, an issue that he can excite his base and hopefully get them out in the same numbers as the uh, as the Democrats are going to get out because they just dislike Trump. The, even though this is a state race for governor, even though it's a, a state race for U.S. senator, 
the issue everyone will be looking at is Donald Trump. And, and if Donald Trump is unable to get out his base, the Democrats are going to have a, have a blue wave. Right now, it looks as though that blue wave is not nearly as big as they thought it was uh, going to be. But, uh, but I think you still have to give Democrats an advantage going into the fall election. Well, uh, we'll have to see what happens. Uh, no doubt if Donald Trump shuts down the government in September, that would be huge, as Donald Trump himself would say. Uh, <laughs> let's go to the U.S. Senate race. Uh, many people think it doesn't really matter who the Republican nominee is against Debbie Stabenow, the incumbent Democrat, uh, that the Republicans don't have a chance. Neither of their candidates, John James nor uh, Sandy Penzler, have high name ID, uh, no track record in public office for either one of them, and they don't have a chance. Do you buy that pretty much? Uh, and beyond that, uh, would one or the other of them, Penzler or James, be a stronger candidate against Debbie Stabenow, whether they win or not? Well, I think that's a race that, that Republicans are looking at, obviously, because they have their candidate. Debbie Stabenow has been incredibly popular. She is a really great retail uh, politician. She, uh, she is, works incredibly hard, um, chose to be on the Agricultural Committee in the Senate, which she now chairs, which is important to Michigan. Uh, well, she's uh, the ranking minority yeah, chair rank, right She's now. the ranking minority yeah. member of that, uh, was chairman. So... Um, you know, she's really uh, understands the political process, uh, having been in it really all of her life, uh, starting as a county commissioner, state senator, uh, and U.S. senator, of course, in, in 2000. So she's been in the Senate now for 18 years. This is her running for her fourth term. In terms of the Republicans, the entire establishment seems to be behind John James, an African-American, uh, Iraqi war veteran, uh, businessman with, uh, with his own money. Uh, Sandy Pensler running as an outsider against the establishment, running uh, very strongly with Donald Trump because Trump's popularity is high among Republicans, as we talked about earlier. Uh, you know, at the, at the last filing, and I haven't seen this one yet, but Pensler had five million in, and uh, and uh, John James only had about eight hundred thousand. And well, uh, this is a game called uh, the Golden Rule, and he has gold rules. And right now, Pensler's got that money. John Yab, who's Pensler's uh, consultant and pollster, keeps saying that the public polls showing uh, James only up by three or four points are wrong and that, in fact, Pensler has a larger lead. I haven't done any polling on that in a while, but when I did, it was early on in Pensler because of his advertising. And he's advertising all over uh, uh, cable TV, especially on Fox News. Pensler had a lead. I suspect Pensler still does. The question is how big it is. Now, can either of them beat Stabenow? This is no longer an age where how much money you raise in your state uh, elects you or doesn't elect you. There's so much money coming in from super PACs, uh, from, uh, from 501c4s, 501c3s, that uh, that changes the whole political process because if it looks as though Trump is doing well and if it looks like there might be vulnerability, uh, whomever wins, whether it's Pensler or uh, John James, is going to have the money to take on Debbie Stabenow. And again, you have to wait to see what happens. We're really a long way from November in a Trump presidency where anything can change overnight. 
it's hard for me to see how uh, John James can make up that kind of a disadvantage in terms of TV advertising uh, with Sandy Penzler. I mean, Sandy Penzler has been all over the media uh, with advertising for months. Uh, frankly, I don't think his ads are very good, but they're ads. Uh, he's out there. Uh, his name is out there. And I mean, I just think it's going to be very, very difficult for James to overcome that. Don't you on August 7th? Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. I think it's difficult. I think James has got to raise the money. Um, I think the best ad penciler had was one that had him uh, talking about his endorsement of Donald Trump and putting Trump's picture next to his and saying, you know, that he endorses Donald Trump. Often people will take a look at an ad like that and believe that he's been endorsed by Trump rather than he is endorsing Trump. And by putting the pictures together, the visual of that uh, puts Trump and Penciler in their mind. So uh, I don't believe the president's going to endorse in this race. Uh, he has endorsed in the uh, governor's race, but I don't think he's going to endorse. So uh, we'll have to see who, who does. It's, uh, at this point, I would say that Penciler has a lead. Okay, we'll be back in a couple of minutes after a short break with Steve Mitchell, president of Mitchell Research and Communications. is MTN, and you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. We're back with Steve Mitchell, president of Mitchell Research and Communications, one of Michigan's top pollsters for over three decades. Uh, We've been talking about the gubernatorial race, both Republican and Democratic. We've been talking about the fight for the Republican nomination for U.S. Senate, Um, I'd like to ask Steve what he thinks about the Trump appointment to the Supreme Court factor as a mobilization mechanism uh, for one side or the other between now and November, and perhaps uh, who he thinks uh, Donald Trump should nominate on Monday night or whether it makes any difference. What do you think, Steve? Well, first of all, let's take a look at who might get nominated. If you look back uh, to the nomination of Neil Gorsuch, and you looked at two or three, and I did last night, did some research on this, who were the top candidates before he announced uh, Neil Gorsuch? And guess what? Neil Gorsuch was the top candidate with uh, Tom uh, uh, Hardiman uh, and uh, uh, Diane Sykes uh, from Wisconsin as, as follow-ups on that, so, so runner-ups on that. So if you look this time... Uh, it apparently is from multiple news reports, either Brett Kavanaugh, Ray Kethledge from Michigan, um, or uh, Amy Coney Barrett. I think Coney Barrett, because of her Catholicism and because of some of her writings on abortion, would be unacceptable to Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, who are going to be the deciding two votes on whether a candidate makes it through. Uh, if you look at the court right now, uh, including Scalia, who died a couple of years ago, every single member of the court either went to Harvard or Yale Law School. Uh, the exception in graduation is uh, Ginsburg started, Bader Ginsburg started at, at Harvard and then graduated from Columbia. 
Uh, when you look at the backgrounds of the three remaining ones, uh, Coney Barrett went to Notre Dame, Catholic school. She's very strong in her Catholic religion. I, I don't believe that the dogma is deeply within her, as Dianne Feinstein, the senator from California, said Democrat. Uh, but I think you look at Kethledge now and Kavanaugh. Kethledge went to the University of Michigan, which is a great law school. But uh, then you look at Brett Kavanaugh, who is graduate of both uh, undergraduate and graduate of Yale. Uh, I think uh, that Kavanaugh will be chosen. It is going to be a brutal fight. This has been the most traumatic moment for those who understand it that Democrats have faced in an incredible amount of time. Uh, replacing Kennedy, who was about 70% with the uh, uh, Democrats, and which was predicted he would be, or with the Republicans, about 70% with the conservatives, uh, will be replaced by somebody who will be about 90 to 95% with the conservative wing, giving the Republicans a permanent majority uh, for the next three decades or so, uh, presumably because of the young age of the newest uh, person that they're going to be putting on there. So this is a major event. It is going to, I think, have an impact on turnout. I think it's going to rile up the Republicans uh, because of the way that this uh, candidate will be treated, whomever it is. Uh, so I think uh, this is going to be a battle royal. So you think it'll motivate the Republicans as well as the Democrats, or maybe even more so? Oh, I think so. I think it's going to motiv- motivate both sides, and it's going to occur in that same time frame. Quite frankly, they better get it done before he shuts down the government or before the budget is, uh, continuation is voted on in September. Okay, let's look at um, a couple of uh, congressional races, uh, particularly in Oakland County, which is, I think, basically your uh, home base. I, I know you've got an office in East Lansing as well. Uh, you've got the 11th congressional district where David Trott is uh, not running again, so it's an open seat, and you've got a battle royal on each side, uh, Democrats and Republicans. Democrats are really cranked up. I'm surprised that they have uh, taken such an interest in this race uh, in a district that you would think should be, I'm not going to say strongly or safely Republican, but certainly marginally Republican, uh, but I guess that's what they have to do if they have any chance of regaining control of the U.S. House of Representatives in Washington, D.C. They got five candidates, the Democrats do. Uh, Republicans have five candidates. How do you see that race uh, down in Oakland County? Well, again, let's look at the money. First of all, let's talk about the Democrats. Um, I think uh, Sunil Gupta, the the brother of Sanjay Gupta, who's had the most money, is in the strongest position, uh, followed by Haley Stevens. Uh, I think uh, Grimal is a strong candidate, but he has not been able to raise the money um, that uh, Gupta has been able to raise, or Haley Stevens. Uh, And then um, Feu Saad, who's also running, uh, had about the same amount of money as as uh, Grimal did, and then there's Nancy Skinner, who's run for Congress before, who's a radio talk show host. But I think right now Gupta's got a lead. He's got uh, Jill Alper, who's a great political consultant, working with him. Uh, and I think uh, right now, if, if the election were held, I think Gupta would win that side. On the, and on the Republican side, you've got, again, five candidates. You've got uh, former congressman by accident, uh, Kerry Benavolio, that uh, took over when uh, when... They booted uh, Thad McCotter off the ballot because his signatures were improper. 
he lost after his first term to trot. Now he's trying again, as he's tried before. You also have uh, the Senate uh, majority floor leader in the Michigan Senate, Mike Kowal, uh, running. Clint Kesto, state representative. Uh, both Kowal and Kesto are from Oakland County. And then Rocky Rochkowski, who's run a number of times, former House Republican uh, floor leader in the Michigan House of Representatives. Uh, and finally, uh, you have uh, Lena Epstein, who was Bush's uh, uh, co-chair uh, as a uh, woman uh, when Trump ran in 2016. Epstein had uh, eight times more money than the other candidates did at the last filing. We'll have to take a look at what's happening here. She's been on the air a long time. She got an enormous amount of publicity because her country club, Franklin Hills, in uh, in uh, exclusive Franklin area of Detroit, uh, would not allow her to have a fundraiser there after they had allowed uh, Gupta to. And by the way, she'd had that on the books, and it was on their books, and they prevented her from having it. She gets on Fox and Friends, which is the, the morning uh, television show for uh, many Republicans who watch Fox News, and she gets three and a half minutes of free airtime talking about how she was abused as a woman and as a Trump supporter. So she gets that added benefit of, uh, of that type of an interview. I think at the end of the day that Epstein, again, she's the only uh, woman against the four men. Uh, I think she wins that primary, even though we've got some really great candidates, Kowal uh, uh, Kesto and Rocky Rochkowski are great candidates, working very, very hard. But I don't know how they come over the come, uh, you know, overcome the gender issue, uh, as well as the more importantly the money issue. So then you might have Lena Epstein versus uh, Gupta, the Democratic nominee, if he wins the Democratic primary on August seventh uh, in the general election. Who do you look at as the favorite in that race? Well, the Democrats will make. Their race, Gupta will make their race a, 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 a real race against Donald Trump. If you like Trump, uh, you should vote for the Republican. If you don't like Trump or are afraid of Trump, then vote for Gupta. Uh, on the other side, Epstein is going to want to make this race about Nancy Pelosi and about Maxine Waters. Uh, the president lately has made Maxine Waters and Nancy Pelosi uh, the real poster girls for the Democratic Party. Uh, you look back, Republicans won a special election in Georgia to defeat, uh, uh, to defeat a strong candidate when Tom Price went to, from being a member of Congress to be Secretary of Education. And the reason they won is because of the intense dislike of Pelosi. So what you'll see Gupta do at some point is say, I'm not going to vote for her for Speaker. Now, it's a little disingenuous because there are enough votes of Democrats to vote for her for Speaker, so she will be Speaker. But he's going to try to distance himself from her. Uh, the problem that they have on the Democratic side is a lot of their issues abolish ICE and some others uh, are very unpopular with the public. And so uh, if he tries to speak out against those, then he loses the progressives who will be supporting him. So, uh, you know, the Republicans are going to run against the progressives and the socialist agendas. Uh, they'll also make this about Ocasio-Cortez, the uh, 28-year-old socialist who won in New York. So it's going to be an interesting they're going to be interesting races. Another big race in the general election is going to be the 8th Congressional District race between uh, Mike Bishop, uh, former Senate Majority Leader of Michigan, congressman for the last couple of terms, and uh, his opponent, uh, Alyssa Slotkin. The Democratic uh, Congressional Committee put $780,000 into a buy in October in Detroit and another 200 dollars 
uh, $80,000 uh, or $220,000 into Lansing TV. You can tell what they're going to do. The two targeted races in Michigan this year will be the 8th District, which is Oakland, Ingham, uh, and uh, uh, Livingston County, I believe, yeah. uh, that area, and then the, uh, the 11th District uh, there. So those are the big races in, the, in, the, in, in terms of the general election. You've given us a lot to think about. I want to thank Steve Mitchell, president of Mitchell Research and Communications. Great job of analyzing all sorts of things, issues, Supreme Court appointments, uh, political races. Thank you very much, Steve. Bill, it is always my pleasure. Talk to you